let's jump in then. Um, I invite you to turn to Luke 10. We're going to look at a very familiar story, starting at verse 38. We're going to read through verse 42. Luke 10, 38 through 42. We're starting a series. It's going to be a 10-part series leading us right into Advent. On It's going to be entitled, Let's Get Real. The Christian life can be thought of as the bid, as the pursuit to get real, which is to say to get in touch with the truth and also to become real in terms of becoming more and fully human. And today we're going to try to get real as we talk about the Mary and Martha moment for the church. So let's read the text. Beloved, listen to God's word. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can I have that first image? Is it there? Oh, it's there. Sorry, I can't see it on the back. Um, I think we can appreciate the sentiment here. Lord, I want to be like Mary today, but can you invite Martha over to clean my house? There is something so very good about Martha, even though, according to Jesus, there's something better at the moment about Mary. Mary... And Martha, Martha, and Mary, it's a familiar story, and there's humor in it, and many things to learn, but the most essential point that I want to focus on is this. Serving Jesus is good, but sitting and learning at Jesus' feet is even better. Or more specifically, serving Jesus is good, but if it comes to having to choose between serving Jesus and or sitting at Jesus' feet, then sitting at Jesus' feet in intimacy and in learning from him is better. Or as the the Greek puts it more picturesquely, to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him is the better portion. In Genesis 43, when Joseph's 11 brothers are seated at table and Joseph wants to test whether or not their characters have been reformed, We are told that Joseph piles up the food high on Benjamin's plate, gives him five times more than the others. He gives him the bigger, better portion. So much of the Christian life, friends, not to mention life itself, is not a choice between the good and the bad. But so much of the Christian life is to learn to choose between the good and the better. This is wisdom to learn to choose the better. The text before us today, in fact, can be seen as the last in a litany of interactions where Jesus is trying to teach folks to differentiate between the good and the better and to learn to choose the better over the good. In Luke 9, 57 through 62, for example, Jesus grants that having a place to lay your head is good. But following Jesus even if it means you don't have a place to lay your head at night, is better. 
He says in the same text that devotion to family is good. But if one's devotion to their family begins to interrupt their ready and prompt obedience and allegiance to Jesus, then ready and prompt obedience and allegiance to Jesus is better. 72 disciples celebrate the good in Luke 10, 17, that the demons submit to them in Jesus' name. What a joy, they say. Jesus says, although that may be good, that the demons submit to you, it is better to celebrate that your names are written in heaven. The parable of the Good Samaritan, just before our text, holds out with the successive appearances of an expert in the law, and then a priest, and then a Levite, in other words, the whole religious establishment, it holds out that the law is good. But Jesus teaches that knowing the law plus doing what it says, even when it's hard and inconvenient, is better. The good, the better, Mary, Martha, service, sitting at Jesus' feet. One of the challenges of the Christian life is indeed to learn to choose the better when you're surrounded by a multiplicity of goods. A sprig of lettuce may be good in a famine, but five sprigs plus a roasted chicken is even better. We've got to learn when it's possible to choose the bigger, better portion. This is why when I go to White Spot, I always get the bigger, better bacon cheddar burger. The Caesar salad is good, but the better, <laughs> it's really hard to say, the bigger, better bacon cheddar burger is better. It must be, it says so in the name. That's my argument, and I'm going to stick with it. Now, let me ask you a question. It's going to appear completely unrelated, but trust me, it's not. What is your opinion on the following things? On Afghanistan? The nature of the pullout? How about the Biden administration? How about Trump? How about Trudeau? How about the timing of Trudeau's election here during a pandemic to the tune of $600 million? What's your opinion about the pandemic itself? Is it as bad as we're being told? Is it worse? Are the lockdown measures as we have seen them unfold really necessary? Are the authorities going too far? Not far enough? What do you think about masks? Do they work? Are they superfluous? Are some of the medical ones good, but some of the others that we use maybe not as good? Should people be forced to get the vaccines? What do you think about the vaccines on a whole? Should we vilify those who don't want to get the vaccine? Should we pull psychological and other levers to pressure the unvaxxed to get vaxxed? What's your opinion of the whole vaccine passports thing? Good idea? Bad idea? What about if they start to say that in order to come to church on a Sunday morning, we need to start checking people's passports at the door? Would you be in favor of that or opposed? Do you think that we're following the science? Some others maybe think that it's just become more political. Is there something bigger going on behind the scenes? Something to do with this language about a great reset we have all heard? Are the conspiracy theorists crazy? Or maybe is there some purchase to them? What's your opinion on all of these things? Overwhelmed yet? 
feeling anxious? Have your shoulders lifted as I've been reading through this litany and your throat tightened just a bit? Mine has even while I'm reading it. And I knew what I was going to say. And no wonder. Because it's a lot. We are dealing with an awful lot right now. All of us. And the air that we breathe around other people can be thick with tension. I know on very good authority and very personally that it is really hard in some family situations to have a discussion about current events. Families are being divided. I know of other families, again, very personally, who are afraid of getting the kids together because they stand on polar opposite ends of these things. I know that in the church, there have been discussions between people that have led to some very hard feelings. Things that are threatening to divide us are very real and very tangible right now. There are things that could drive us apart, and quite frankly, there are things that are driving us apart. And it's important to name that, I think. And let us also be frank and take this one step further, because there is a lot for the last 19 months that has driven us apart, just purely on a physical basis. We have not been able to come together as we ordinarily would and be the body of Christ in an embodied way. The restrictions have kept us from being able to do that. For some others, staying away from church and tuning out completely has become a new habit. Or we're attending elsewhere. We've definitely found some new normals. And church, for some of us, hasn't really become a part of that. And if you think it's only us as Willoughby Church, um, think again. Here's one statistic for you. According to a Barna study, as of the fall of 2021, so just this past month, churches across the U.S. have seen only 36% of their people return to in-person worship. 36%, even after the restrictions have been dropped. Churches that previously, in other words, had 200 members attending on a Sunday morning now have about 72. Others are either watching online or, again, have dropped away completely. I'm not sure where our numbers at Willoughby here are at, but it's probably relatively comparable, although I think we're more about 50% in worship than maybe 30-40% online or something like that. But still, it's staggering what's going on in the church. I don't know, in most of our lifetimes, maybe in World War II, but none of us have faced challenges the peculiar kind that we're facing now. What is going on with the church? And moreover, what is going to go on with the church if this COVID proves to be more of an ice age thing than a snowstorm, then what is going to happen to the church long term? Have you wondered about that? I certainly have. In fact, I've had many sleepless nights wondering about it. What's going to happen? The truth is, I don't know. It's Jesus' church. My job, I have come to the conviction, is not to decipher the future, but to be faithful in the present. Indeed, my job is to discern from a biblical perspective what is good and better and to promote the better portion given current circumstances, to promote eating Benjamin's portion. And that's what I'd like to do here for just a few minutes because I believe that we are facing now in the church quite a complex Martha and Mary, Mary and Martha moment as a church. There are a lot of good things that we can occupy ourselves with 
and become engaged with. But I want to be sure that we as a church are choosing the better things. So let me suggest very briefly four goods and betters for us this morning as it relates to our present situation, beginning with what I believe is the most pressing one. Consider this something of a state of the union on this ministry launch Sunday. First, it is good, beloved of God, to think about and form opinions on political and COVID matters and use our whole heads and evaluate our sources of information and all the like of that. But it is better in the church, if these things are going to begin to divide us or cause us to feel contempt for others or to look down on those that think differently from us, it will be better for us to put our opinions on the shelf in so far as it concerns our church relationships because these are not central dogmatic issues or issues of unity and therefore should not be dividing churches or believers from one another. There is space enough in the church when it comes to these issues to disagree. And there is certainly every reason given our Lord's ongoing love and grace for us to give people a lot of space to think differently at the present moment, to resist shaming or shunning people, and to give them the benefit of being just as thoughtful as you are, and to love each other as sisters and brothers in Christ. If I can say somewhat parenthetically, I think one of the biggest problems that we're facing right now in society as a whole and as a church, and that is dividing us, is what I've coined an epistemological crisis. Epistemology is how you know what you know. It's a study of how you know what you know. Well, how do we know what we know when it comes to what's going on in the world? The problem that I'm finding is people are going to very different sources and coming to very different conclusions about what is actually going on, and then coming and disagreeing with others about it with a great deal of passion and conviction, and it's splitting us apart and creating some very hard things. Sometimes it is really hard to know what to believe in present circumstances, so I think this just calls for an enormous latitude of grace that we express toward one another, and in particular in the church. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If you have been separated or divided from someone in this body because of COVID arguments, I implore with you to call a moratorium on the arguments and extend forgiveness and grace. Here's a second point. It is good, sisters and brothers, as some have begun doing, to enjoy nature on Sunday mornings, or sports, or traveling for that matter, or long walks. But if that is the reason that you stopped coming to church in person, it's better for you to come to church. And I'm not talking, please, about what feels better. Nine times out of ten, it might feel better for me to go for a long walk on a Sunday morning, or to go to the driving range, or to hit nine holes with some friends. It might feel better, but it's not necessarily the better thing to do. Do not give up meeting each other, exhorts the author of Hebrews to the churches. And he has to exhort this precisely because people have developed new normals, new habits. Do not give up meeting together, not because church is the most fun thing you do, nor because you feel it, like it, feel like it, but because church is the bride of Christ in whom the triune God is collectively worshipped as the fulfillment to the promise to Abraham, and through whom the triune God enters into and transforms people in the world. 
The church is the beachhead of God's future in the present time, the place of mutual edification with and toward people that by and large we would otherwise not choose to be with. It's the nature of the church. It's God's missionary outpost. Deep theology to the side, enjoying the creation is good on Sunday morning, friends. But maintaining the ritual of coming to church as we are able and being present for yourself as well as for others is better. One of my great concerns throughout all of COVID is the new habits that we are forming ourselves into. Because the thing about habits is that we don't only form our habits. Our habits return the favor and begin to form us. And if we're starting to form new habits on Sunday morning, particularly if we have young children at home, what new habits are we forming them in? And then what habits will return the favor and form them? We need to think about this. But let me build on this because some of us may be coming to services online and so kind of attending at least. Let me say this. Digital, this is third point. Digital worship, online worship is good and it has been a gift for sick and shut-ins for years and certainly has been a way of connecting us throughout COVID. But in-person worship, again, for those who are able, is better. Let me put it this way. Digital worship, friends, is no substitute for in-person embodied worship. And I am not, let me stress again, talking about those of you who for various reasons, health reasons or concerns, cannot come to church. Most of us, when we reach a certain age, begin to fall into that category. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about those of us who can come and be present, but are choosing to stay home and watch instead. Being home please let me underscore, is good. Being able to get up late, to stretch out on our couches, to sip coffee and watch the service. Many of us have enjoyed this leisure for months. We've all had our own little sabbatical from the church. But being present with the people of God now that we are able in an embodied way is better. And you know why? Again, there's lots of theological reasons that could detain us for a long time. But let me just point to one of the practical ones in the New Testament. It's because, simply put, we need to encourage one another, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Encourage one another and build one another up. And I know some of you may say, I feel built up already. I don't need to be an embodied worship. But what if somebody here needs to be built up by your presence, by your smile, by your reassurance, by a word that you might have for them? But you need to be here in order to give it. Or maybe you need to be challenged in some way to be encouraged in that way and won't receive it if you're at home behind the TV. I think what I'm trying to say here is this. We must not turn the church into a spectator sport where all we do is watch from home. The church in this instance, instead of being the living people of God, God's embodied presence on earth, the church simply becomes a vendor of religious goods and services that exists to satisfy our religious tastes and quench our idiosyncratic spiritual thirsts. And we cannot let the church become that. We mustn't. The church is the bride of Christ. It's not a vendor of religious goods and services. Now, let me pivot here and anticipate a wrinkle because I've thought about it and perhaps so have you. Like all this talk about returning to embodied worship is good and getting involved and reconnected is good. But what if, here's a big what if, what if this is an ice age? What if 
doing church the way we've always done it with the big event Sunday model where we gather together and feel comfortable gathering together as a big group of three to 400 people is not going to be possible or preferable over the next few years. We don't know what's coming down the pipe. What if we can't get together? What's the good and better? Should this be the scenario moving forward, assuming we trust what we are being told? But what's the good and better here? Well, it may indeed be good to continue offering online worship services and housing as many people in person as we're allowed, like the 50 uh, marker that we had earlier in the year. It may be wise to keep this sort of bi-directional model we've been following, but I believe that if we are going to enter into an ice age and restrictive measures are going to be reimposed on us, it will be far better if we call forth those in the body with entrepreneurial gifts to help us, to help us fundamentally reimagine the way we do church so that we can gather together, yes, perhaps in the big service, but even more so in little mini churches, worshiping smell, cells, small groups, face-to-face gatherings, organized perhaps by geographical region, missionally focused groups with a heart for each other and our neighborhoods, and that the staff of this church are perhaps redeployed to be resources for these satellite missional outposts, providing sermons, liturgies, study guides, broad-level direction, pastoral care. I say we need the entrepreneurs here in our midst because this is going to take some innovative thinking and reimagining. In any event, if further lockdowns are forthcoming, we're going to need to have this sort of discussion, I think. Because the church, I believe, cannot thrive in the way that Jesus wants us to thrive if we are isolated from one another. That's not the church because the gathered people are the church. We must remember the church is not a building. It's a body. The church is not a place. It's a people. The church is not an online service. It's a group of worshiping servants serving each other and the world as a sign and foretaste of God's future in the present time. Let me sum. All of this morning's good and better talk, folks, all this talk about our Mary and Martha moment can be summarized more simply. You know what the heartbeat of the message is this morning? The heartbeat is this. We need to connect to thrive. God designed us that way. God designed his church that way. And so given the last 19 months we've had when it comes to the church, I simply believe we're going to, make, we're going to have to make some very concerted efforts to connect with each other and to reconnect. I know there are obstacles. I know there will be obstacles. I know there are difficulties and will be. I know many of us have reservations and questions and concerns and for very good reason. But still, can we all commit ourselves this year in one way or another to connect, to reconnect? It's going to be our theme for the whole year. Our theme for the year, the ministry year, is reconnect. Maybe we can ask somebody to be our prayer partner. Maybe we involve ourselves in some form of ministry that we haven't yet. Maybe we volunteer for something. Maybe we sign up to help out in a way we have not before. But we all have gifts to offer. We can all stand up and say, as I preached a few weeks ago, how can I help? And in particular, how can I help connect? Connection, reconnection. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast.
The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.